Good morning, brothers and sisters. Everybody could hear all? Good? Okay. If we could turn in our Bibles to the portion that's allotted to us this morning. It's going to be found in Luke chapter 15. And our goal this morning is to cover the first 10 verses. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. And the word of God would read as this. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost, until he find it. And when he had found it, he layeth on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he called together, all his, called together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep, which was lost. And I say unto you, that likewise joy shall, shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than ninety-nine just persons." which need no repentance. Either either a, uh, what a woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, sweep the house, and seek it diligently till she find it. And when she found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Let's look to the Lord for guidance. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that we can remember him this morning to remember the great redemption, the great purchase that was paid on the cross to redeem our souls, us wretched sinners, Father to become children of God, Father. We're so thankful for him this morning. We just ask for your wisdom and guidance that you would open up our hearts and our ears to take in thy word, Father. We would ask that it would have an effect in our very lives, Father, that we would not be as the man in James, beholding himself in a mirror that would just walk away from it unchanged. Father, we would ask that your word and your spirit would move inside us, Father, and it would take effect. We ask these things in your son's most precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we begin this morning, I would like to uh, give a couple contradictions to what one of our elders said. And I didn't consult with him because I'm a rebel like that. Yes, we're going to cover the first two stories in this parable. And Lost and Found is a very good title. I'm going to change that, Mike, if it's okay with you, to The Joys of Redemption. And I think it's very appropriate this morning in our Lord's Supper, there was a theme of redemption, and it was beautiful. And I think it's of the Lord that he led, led the, the, uh, what was said in, that, in the Lord's Supper to be about redemption. So we're going to call this the joys of redemption. And yes, uh, just a brief outline, right? We don't need to give an outline for such a short passage, but I like to anyway. So in verses 1 to 2, it describes the setting and the audience that's before the Lord. Verses, and then the remainder of the chapter, you could call it the parables, right? Verses 3 to 7, the lost sheep. Verses 8 through 10, the lost coin. And next week, our brother 
uh, Humphreys, I believe, is going to cover 11 to 32, the prodigal son. And one more contradiction this morning. Yes, I'm not going to discuss the lost son. I'm not going to venture into Brother Harry's territory, but I will briefly mention about the other brother because I think it fits nicely within these stories. Okay, I got clean conscience now. And if I get chastised after the message, um, I, I, I hope I'm okay. All right, so think about the setting. And, and it really displays what the heart of God is like towards his people, right? So there's two sets of people, right? There's, there's a lot of people. But the way the scripture would describe them in verse 1, there was people that drew themselves to Christ, specifically to hear him. And then there was another group of people called the scribes and Pharisees. And they were there to murmur, right? So there's two sets. My Bible says publicans. Perhaps your scripture says tax collectors. Uh, and publicans, um, nonetheless, the, the, what is meant by scripture is the same, that there are sinners. I mean, we think of our brother uh, Mike and Chris, these sinful tax collectors, right? <laughs> But no, it, it, it's, it's, worth, it's worth mentioning, it's worth mentioning that back then, the tax collectors and the prostitutes were regarded as one of the, the, the vilest of sinners, right? It's almost that they betray the nation, that they would uh, greedily, overly collect funds, and they would essentially steal money for their own profit, and they would uh, put a great burden on the people of Israel. Um, and it's, it's worthy to note that one of those, those tax collectors, right, was one that turned to Christ. And he had the privilege to write the first book in the New Testament, right? And, and we're not talking bad about just them, their profession. We're all sinners. You think of Zacchaeus, right, and how he would turn to God and be, he would become saved when Christ would minister to him. So there's a group of sinners, and then there are the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the people that should have known the scriptures, the, the ones that should be shepherding the flock, leading them to the Savior. And oh, how we see how Christ would deal with them. And he would deal, uh, he, he would be very dogmatic and he would speak to them. And I say this, Christ did not hate the Pharisees. He did not hate the scribes. But he would speak words of truth to them. And he would deal with them. And he would preach to them. He wouldn't turn his back on them, Right? So let's look at how Christ would go on to speak. And what sets off this, this, um, this, this sermon, let's call it. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful uh, set of parables. It's really three stories in one. This morning we're going to consider the first two. Uh, and unlike, for example, the question that was answered this morning, right? There was... Parables that the Lord gave that the people were confused about, that he would have to tell his disciples, this is this, this is that, the tares and the wheat, right? And there was uh, parables where he would have to elaborate. There's no elaboration here. The message was crystal clear of what he was talking about. Who was the lost sheep? Who was the lost coin? Who was the prodigal son? Who was the prodigal son's brother? It was so clear that there was no need for explanation and how effective the preaching of Christ was. They murmured and they complained, right? They murmured. It's not polite to murmur. When my children do it, they typically don't react that well, 
um, but, but Christ is very gracious. Instead of knowing what they're saying and putting them in their place, he would go on to uh, do a specific message to them, right? He knew his audience. There's a group of religious people that they're too good for him. And then there was these sinners that they were disgusted by. And Christ would go on and he would preach a sermon that would be for both sets of people. And perhaps the Pharisees didn't get it at the beginning, but the, the, the sermon was very clear at the very end. We're going to see that it was right to them and it would cut to their hearts. And so the murmuring would, would kind of dictate the way the message that Christ would preach would go. And what was the murmuring about? Eating with sinners, right? Eating with sinners. The Pharisees would think of themselves so highly that this was meant to be an insult. How dare this man eat with sinners? This is not the first time that Christ dealt with this. This is not the first time um, that he was faced by, by this scenario. In the very same book of Luke, do you recall when Christ went to eat with the Pharisee that invited him over to his house for dinner? In Luke chapter 9, verse 39, it says, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. This is what this man is saying in his heart. Christ, knowing this, he would go on and he would speak to this man, right? Over a repentant sinner. It's not the very first time. So, he goes into a parable. And again, a parable is nothing new. We've been covering the parables over the last uh, few months. It's a, it's a story, right? So, when you're witnessing to some, perhaps you've used this tactic before when you're witnessing to somebody and they kind of get put off. Wait a minute, this person is reading the Bible. And then you'll kind of illustrate something. Well, you know, I, I, there's a man. And then you start talking about a neighbor and an experience. And, this, and then, then all of a sudden, their, almost their defenses come down. Oh, wait a minute, I could relate to this. And they'll have an open ear. It's an effective way of witness uh, that we, we should take the example of Christ. And so he starts talking about of, of these common occurring events, things that people could relate to, not just the sinners, but the Pharisees. And so it goes into these, these three parables. Again, we're going to discuss the first two. And notice... The three, the three parables, right? We're, again, I'm not going to go into the lost son, but we want to notice the progression, right? I am an engineer by trade, and I like numbers. So the first man has a hundred sheep. He loses one, right? That's the first story. It's a loss of 10%, or of 1%, I should say. There, are, there, are, there goes my, uh, my <laughs> me boasting about my math. The second story is about a woman with 10 silver coins. She loses one. That's a loss of 10%, right? And then there goes a third story. A man has two sons, and he loses one. Which one does he lose? It's, we'll, we'll leave it up to next week, up to the debate who, which son he actually lost. But that's a loss of 50%. Now, if I, if I tell you, you know, like for example... Uh, there's a, a Democratic candidate named Michael Bloomberg. I think he's worth something like $60 billion. And he pledged to, to uh, spend $1 billion to try to be elected president, right? So he, he's so full of riches that to him, it doesn't matter. I'm going to waste this much money to try to get elected. But it doesn't really apply to these individuals. It wouldn't apply to me. If I have three sons. I mean, even, I have three sons, but it's the family with the most kids that I know are the wards, right? I don't think Ron Ward would ever say... You know, I lost one, but that's okay. I have, I have nine or ten others. That's okay. No person in the right mind would say something like that, right? Whether it be Ron Ward 
or whether it be one person with one child, right? The, the, the value is priceless. You, you, you can't compare the value. So the, the person with the lost sheep has lost 1%. Silver coins, he lost 10%, right? And, and you can't say, oh, it's just, it's just one out of my 10 coins. Some business operate nowadays with, with such high overhead costs that the whole profit margin might be 10%, right? They'll go out of business. And so these stories are relatable. And the Pharisees and the sinners could immediately uh, relate to. And that's how we have to speak to people. We have to be able to, for them to relate what we're speaking about. So now let's look in, in, in some detail at the first parable, the lost sheep, right? Uh, the concept of, of a sheep is a very preeminent um, uh, subject in Scripture, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, it varies, right? The way that sheep are described. For the majority part in the Old Testament, a sheep is an innocent animal that when me as an Israelite would commit sin or I would transgress, somehow I would have to take this, this innocent, beautiful animal that the Lord created, that I cared for, that I raised. I would have to present it before the, the, the altar and it would be slain and it would die for the, the sin that I committed. And we would uh, learn in the New Testament that those, those sacrifices and burnt offerings, they would not take sin until the Lamb of God would come and take away the sins of the world. Right? So it, it would translate from an animal that was sacrificed in the New Testament. It would be switched, right? Not moving away from Christ being the Lamb of God, but now from Christ being the Good Shepherd. And now instead of the Lamb being the one that dies... I am the good shepherd that gives his life for my sheep, right? And yes, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, they, uh, there's stories of David you know, uh, risking his life to save the sheep. There's passage in Ezekiel where it says, smite the shepherd. But primarily that, that concept is in the New Testament where the good shepherd would give his life for his sheep. And here is Christ giving a story of a man that would lose a sheep. And he would go and risk his life to go find them. How does a sheep get lost? What do we know about sheep? Biologically wise, they are not the brightest animals, right? They would want, they sheep wonder, and they get lost. So how does a sheep get lost? By simply being a sheep. They start eating grass. And they probably see a, a green patch of grass, and they get just a little bit further away from the flock. Oh, wait, there's even more green grass over there. Carelessly, they go over here. And... The shepherd with the 100, probably it's in his blind spot, doesn't see it, and it keeps getting further and further and further away. Before the sheep knows it, it looks up and doesn't see the shepherd, doesn't see the flock, and it knows that it's in trouble. It is vulnerable, vulnerable to, to wolves and any kind of predator uh, that's out there that's lurking about. And it's in its lost and helpless estate. Oh, how Scripture would say that we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. In Isaiah 53. And, and perhaps this is the same concept would apply to sinners. Sinners today, right? Not necessarily bad people that are uh, rebels, that are the, the, the monsters of the world, perhaps the Hitlers, the Paul Potts, the Maos, but perhaps the majority of sinners, right? They, they wonder this world looking for greener pastures, looking for something, the next thing that you think is going to bring you some kind of satisfaction. 
Uh, I think of co-workers of mine. I think of friends in the past. People are led away by relationships, right? Seeking out a relationship that's ungodly, or they, they go looking for a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Or perhaps it's a, it's a blood relationship, brothers and sisters, um, that would keep them, uh, leading them further away from the Savior. I've seen a lot of people led away by careers that it would just consume them. Where all, the only thing that would matter to them is their careers, uh, desires. Sometimes it's a car. The people think a car is going to make them happy, houses, riches. Ultimately, those things all become idols that keep them away from the Lord. Think of this um, this uh, gentleman that I work with about 12 years ago. I was fairly young in the company, and there was a time... and. and to the company's credit, they would give clarity, hey, they were doing pretty bad right now. Our stock has kind of dropped. We're needing to, to trim some finances, some overhead costs. And they said they were going to have a, a reorg where some people were going to be offered packages. Some people were going to be laid off. Um, but it was company-wide. So we, for, the, for three weeks, people didn't know, hey, I'm going to work. Is today going to be the day that they tell me that I don't have a job? This gentleman, that older engineer that was been there forever, he, he would get anxiety. He had to go home sick a few times because he just couldn't take not knowing. At the end, when it was all said and done, only a couple, two people got, got laid off from my entire department. Praise the Lord. You know, I was grateful, you know. Um, but a lot of people that they don't have hope were, their lives were turned upside down. When it was all said and done, we all kept our jobs in our office, and there was this one uh, co-worker of mine, his name was Vic, the most disgruntled individual that I could ever remember. Recall, when the, the movement happened, there was one, one girl in my, my department that got promoted to a new position that became vacant. And so when I talked to him, hey, that's awesome, you know, we, we kept our jobs, how are you? And he was so upset, annoyed, because he didn't get the promotion. And I'm like, Yesterday, we were like concerned whether we're going to have jobs or not, right? So there's, it doesn't matter what, what people look for to satisfy them, to fill that empty void in their soul. If there's no satisfaction. If you get one thing, it's just on to the next, it's on to the next, it's on to the next. The human, the human uh, person was built with almost a black hole in their heart that cannot be filled by things, by uh, things that you could obtain in this world, the human being, they were not built that way. And the world doesn't understand. There's a pool of people that buy lotto tickets at work. Every week they go around and they say, hey, do you want to put in five bucks? Five bucks? And, you know, I'm like, no, that's okay. Um, and I was with a coworker of mine that was vacation one week and then was working away from the office another week. When he came back, he's like, hey, you were playing these two weeks, right? He's like, all right, give me your money. So he had to fork over like... 20 bucks, and I looked at him, and I'm like, Mike, does it feel like you're winning? He's like, certainly not. It doesn't feel like I'm winning right now. Uh, but yes, the concept is like you're giving a little bit of money to buy. If you think about it, what it is, they're buying a, a, a glimmer of hope, right? It's not the money. There's been studies done in stories, testimonies of people that actually won the lotto. A lot of them become miserable. They'll lose family, friends. Some of them end up bankrupt just the way they were before. But to the person buying that lotto ticket, you're, you're buying a... a little piece of hope that they're staking on, uh, whether the percentage is, is almost impossible to win, but that's, that's what the world's doing. They're buying some kind of hope. Uh, Ephesians 2, uh, verse 12, would say that, that at that time you were without Christ, having no hope without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So without God and without Christ, you're without hope. Without hope. And that's, that's the saddest state of, of these lost sheep that are just wandering, going from green pasture to green pasture. But when, when it's all said and done, their, their joy and fulfillment would be with the Good Shepherd. So the result of the sheep is it's in a helpless state, unsatisfied, away from its shepherd. Now, Christ would say to the believer, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. John 10, 11. And that's, that's where you find joy and fulfillment. You think of that beautiful psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. There's satisfaction there. Times against us, brothers and sisters. So let's go on to the lost coin, right? And we could do the simple analysis that we did with the sheep. How does a coin get lost? Well, my house gets tends to be a little messy. Sometimes things get knocked off the table. Perhaps it falls off the pocket. Perhaps moving a case where he had, she had the ten coins. There's a crack. One of them falls in the ground. It usually tends to be round and metal. It bounces. It rolls. It ends up somewhere where it's not plain to see, right? It rolls under, let's say, a dresser. And it's hidden, out of sight, in darkness, right? So, if we examine this, right, there's a coin. What value does the coin have in its lost estate? What value does it have if it's underneath underneath the bed, underneath the chair? Is it worth anything? The answer is no, it's just a piece of metal, that is laying out somewhere that's not being utilized. Does it have any value? The only way that it could obtain some value is if it's in the possession of the owner. That now it has value that he could buy and trade things with it. People go living having no idea in this world that we were created in the image of God. People, kids, when they're born, they ask these brilliant questions that are ingrained in their souls. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? What happens when we die? These questions that, that when people grow up and they become renowned scientists and, and some of the most intelligent people in the world will say, oh, that's just child's talk. Is it child's talk? No, that's what's ingrained in our souls. And, and they don't realize that they were created in the image of of God, that they have value, but they are lost in a dark, hidden estate, and they don't have any worth in the state that they are in, just as that coin. If you think about it, um, and they, and I, I'm thinking of, uh, there was a time where I looked up a, a, a few debates, and I encourage anybody to look at some of these John Lennox debates, they're, they're mind-blowing, to see what some of the most intelligent minds uh, in the world, what they would, what their answers would be when they're confronted with these simple questions that science and biology simply cannot answer. And they would be as this lost coin. In a coin, if, if you think about it, it has an image on it, right? It has an image of something significant. You think of a penny, it has, it has Abraham Lincoln. How significant was he? Uh, it, of an impact that he had in this country's history, right? And just like that coin has an image that bears of something significant, every human being 
bears the image of God. And they would reject that. And they would say, no, we're just here by random, randomness and chance. And they don't want to acknowledge a Savior. And they, 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 have no, they don't need to answer those questions because it's just randomness and chance. The great uh, world-renowned atheist and biologist, his name is Richard Dawkins. And he wrote a book in which he would be quote. He wrote, this is direct quotations from him. He says, DNA, "DNA neither cares nor knows. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. We dance to its music." So and then you 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 think about that statement. It, DNA just is. They say if if and this is more intelligent people than I that if you grab the, the DNA strand in your body, you unravel it. It would go from here to the moon. It's that complex. It's the longest known word in any kind of alphabet where it has the code of your makeup, the complexity of it. And the ram- to, to, to say that that's just all random and chance, that DNA just is. It doesn't, it, it doesn't care or it doesn't know. When there was a creator, a brilliant mind behind it that would go on to create it. And DNA just is, and we dance to its music. How they would reject the Savior. How they would reject that they have innate value. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things consist. Right? God doesn't try to hide these answers from us. Why are we here? Who created us? Why are, where are we going? What's the purpose of our lives? It's... They're in Scripture. Jesus doesn't hide this from human beings. He wants people to know. People, he wants people to know that, that God values them. That He wants to redeem them. He wants to take the, this lump of clay and make it something beautiful. Turn it into an image of His Son. Something that could be useful in the Master's hands. And here the world would go on to say, No, I'm going to stay here in my lost, dark state. I have no purpose. I just exist and that's all it is. Right? What a sad, sad story about that coin. And if the coin, again, reemphasizes the coin sits there in its lost state, it would have no value. The only way it could get value is if it's returned to the owner's hands. And this demonstrates God's, the God's heart towards the lost, right? Both stories, the, the sheep and the coin, the lost sheep and the coin, observe who is the one that is seeking out. Who's looking for the lost? Did you notice that? It, it, it was the person, the owner of the sheep, he would go out looking for that one. That one lady would light a candle, sweep, organize the entire house until she finds that one coin. And that's God's heart towards the lost, that he is, He's searching for them. He's seeking to save. Think of the Garden of Eden, right? When story that we've learned as children, when, when Adam sinned, well, well, the woman gave him fruit and, and they sinned together, right? Let's not get into that. Well, when Adam and the woman sinned, it was God that would walk through the pastures. And he would say, Adam, where art thou? Adam, where are you, Adam? Where are you? Now, can we say that it was God that didn't know where they were? No, he knew exactly where they were. He knew that they were in a lost state. And where was Adam? Just out of curiosity, where was he? He was? He was hiding. He was lost. 
He was hiding and he was lost. Imagine that. And the Savior, knowing where his estate is, he wants to redeem him. And amen, the, the Lord would go seeking to him. And he would redeem him. The animal would be sacrificed. But think about that. It is the Lord that is seeking. It is us that, that have turned away from him. And God is there. He's, he's waiting for us to just turn to him. To repent. He will run to you as the prodigal son's father. He would run to him in the field. He's waiting for that heart to just turn to him. That's the Savior. That is the God that we worship. That is the God that we serve. When he takes the sheep, does he grab the sheep, stupid sheep, and starts kicking it all the way back to the 99? What does he do? Does he yank it by the collar or hit it with his rod? He takes it upon his shoulders. Like something that he cherishes and walks back to 99. Does he keep it to himself? No, he rejoices. He calls his neighbors. The woman, when she finds the coin, does she just put it back in the box? No, she announces, I found that what was lost. It brings joy to the Father. It brings joy to God the Father when a sinner repenteth. And that's the heart of God towards humans, towards lost individuals. Romans 10, what does it say? Romans 10 verse, verse 8. Well, the verse actually starts, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. God is waiting. He's just, he'll put the words in your mouth. He's, he's anxious to jump at the opportunity for redeeming somebody. Oh, that beautiful redemption on Calvary's cross. How the Father would be just be anxiously waiting for the return of the lost ones. In John chapter 10, it says, I am the door. If any man enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll go and find green pastures. And in, in the, the protection of, of, of the good shepherd. Seeing as our time is almost up. I, I want to wrap these three stories up. And I said I was going to mention the third son. I'm not going to go on to the prodigal son. We were, um, trust that we're mostly familiar with that story. That he goes, burns his riches, and comes back. Wants to be a slave to his father. Uh, the father at the end comes, rejoices, and brings him in. He doesn't bring him as a servant, but he brings him in and gives him a banquet of honor. And we spoke about banquets in the previous uh, chapter, with the, the previous parable. But there's this other individual out there. And the reason why I mention him is just not, not to set uh, David Humphreys or to set Mike. It's, it's because notice the progression of the story, the progression of the valley, right? Perhaps these, these, these Pharisees will look at these three stories, right? They murmur, look at these sinners, and then, then Christ says, okay, which, which one of you having a hundred sheep loses one, does not go find the one? And the Pharisees, ah, perhaps, yeah, we're the 99, we're the, the sheep that are not lost. You, you preach it to them, Jesus. Good job. And then he goes to the story about the, the, the ten coins. Oh, we're probably the nine coins. Good, good job, Jesus. I, we're, we're in agreement with you. You tell these sinners. And then he goes to the prodigal son. And there's the son that was lost. And then the son was found. And then there was rejoicing. And then there's the other brother. 
who is so close to the banquet, so close to the Father, but he is not in. He's outside, in the field. And he would tell his father, do I not slave for you? As if merit and works and religious rituals would obtain salvation. And they would be disgruntled. And he would be angry. Why do you take my, my brother back? Right? And that would cut to their hearts. Because he, they knew immediately he was talking about them. How do you not rejoice? How are you not stepping into the Father's redemption? You stay outside in the field. How sad of a story that is. Lord knows if any of those, those Pharisees that were present actually would have turned and would have repented. But why? And then you, sometimes you read these stories. Why, Lord? These Pharisees are so evil. Every time they invite you is to set up, they'll place somebody before your presence, wanting you to do something to, to condemn you for some act, setting up snares and traps consistently. Why, Lord? Peter would say that the Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, including those Pharisees. And the Lord would graciously preach and deal in these parables, not just to the sinners, but to the Pharisees, pleading with them. He is a God that, that wants to redeem. He's a God that cares for everybody, including the Pharisees. In, in Isaiah, of course, beautiful verse, it says, Come, let us reason together. Let's be reasonable. God is speaking. Look at the heart of God. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as white as wool. And here you see the heart of God. He's pleading, not with just the sinners, but with those hard, hard Pharisees. That yeah, perhaps they were not as far lost as those sinners. Perhaps they were closer to the Father, but still outside of His graces. Yet they would not come in, right? And unlike the, the other banquet people would make, that they would make excuses. Oh, I, I got a field, I got a cow, I got a wife. No, these people would not come in. Not accept the gifts of salvation. Would not be redeemed. Oh, I tell you this morning. Whether you be as the lost sheep or the last lost coin. Or whether you think you're righteous. And you don't think you need God as, as this, the second prodigal son. You need to be redeemed. To obtain that joy, that fulfillment. That satisfaction that only is found in our Savior. I'll close with this from a verse from Luke chapter 19, which is when Christ would go visit Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus would, would repent and he would be redeemed. He would become a child of God. And, and Christ would say, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That which was lost. And that's all entire humanity. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious Lord and the Father, we're so thankful for these simple, simple truths that were told such a long time ago that somebody as simple-minded as me could understand, could understand the heart of God, how He would plead, how He is ready to jump at any instance of repentance, how He would want to just take us in, how He would want to run to the field and take a hold of us. Not make us slaves or servants, but He would give us a place of honor. That You would give us the power, the right to become a child of God. Father, we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, for His work done on Calvary's cross to make this possible. 
We thank you for that sacrifice. We pray for the congregation as we part this morning. In your son's most precious name, the Lord Jesus. Amen.